This is a Reconstruction Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks for a PDF download of this book and for many other great Christian books. Backward Christian Soldiers, an Action Manual for Christian Reconstruction by Gary North, copyright 1984, published by Institute for Christian Economics, narrated by Alan Bailey. Chapter 28, Small Beginnings Frustration is basic to Reconstruction. For who hath despised the day of small things? Zechariah 4, verse 10 One of the difficult things to imagine is a modern proponent of political liberalism standing up to pass the hat for some local social action project. What he will attempt to do is to create a grassroots pressure group to promote the financing of the particular project with local taxpayer funds, or better yet, through federal grants. The political liberal's idea of social action is action to increase the power of the state over local affairs. The political liberal wants to achieve his goals through political action. His religion is the religion of politics. He is skilled at gaining favors by the state for pet projects. His answers for almost every problem are political. Pass a law, enforce a law, get a grant. He enjoys politics. He sees politics as the central activity of a civilization. The state is the central institution. The political conservative tends to regard politics as simply one activity among many, and the state as one institution among many. His interest in politics is diluted unless he is a professional whose calling is politics. The strength of the conservative movement lies outside of politics, unlike the strength of political liberalism. When something needs to be done, the conservative tends to ask himself, how can it be done at a profit? A second question is, how can it be done on a tax-deductible basis? The third question used to, be, used to be, can it be done locally? The fact that the third question is not usually asked by conservatives today indicates the extent to which conservatism has been influenced by the reigning political errors of the day. This leads me to the topic of this chapter, namely, the advantages and weaknesses of the non-statist approach to social problems. If we reject the premise of the statist, then we should have confidence in non-statist approaches to problems. But to overcome the statist ideology of our age, we have to be confident in our ability to succeed without appealing to the state. Running Lean Herbert Titus teaches law at CBN University in Virginia Beach, Virginia. This is Pat Robertson's school, Christian, conservative, and privately supported. In the Vietnam War period, Titus was a radical professor at the University of Oregon. He used to help students obtain draft deferments as well as oppose the war in other ways. He noticed only years later that almost nobody ever offered to pay him for his assistance. It was assumed by radical students that such assistance was a free good, that it is somehow owed to the beneficiary. 
This is the typical mindset of the political liberal. The same phenomena affects the bulk of the socialist interventionist movements of our time. With the notable exception of the communist, the left has been generally unwilling to self-finance their programs in this century. They much prefer to get the state to finance them. This has been done to the conservative rallying cry, defund the left, is valid. Ideologically radical organizations have for years been granted millions of dollars from Planned Parenthood to the Legal Services Corporation. But at some point, this dependence on the state backfires. Sources of private funding dry up since everyone knows that the state is writing the checks. For instance, the left has not developed successful direct mail campaigns or mailing lists unlike the conservatives. When public opinion finally turns against the religion of secular humanism and voters start cutting off the funds, these organizations will lose access to perpetual funding. When the fiat money unit finally goes the way of all flesh, what will they use to pay their employees? The government supplies the money, but the money it supplies is federal money. What happens if federal money becomes worthless? Non-statist movements start small and poor. They are decentralized. They must compete for the, finance, for the financial support of a limited number of donors. Most donors are on several mailing lists, and many ideologically conservative groups appeal to them for, the, for funding. They have to pick and choose among a large number of ideologically compatible organizations. This competition tends to keep the conservative and religious groups very lean. They cannot afford much waste. If they get fat, a downturn in the economy can cause a crisis. Thus, these groups learn to survive in a competitive market. This trains them in the realities of communication. If they have no message, no packaging, no mailing list, and no distinctive program, they are likely to survive, unlikely to survive, let alone prosper. This keeps them sharp. It keeps them relevant. There is a price to pay for these benefits, uncertainty. Nothing is guaranteed. There is always the threat of disaster looming ahead. The fund appeals may take on a tone of desperation of continual crisis. People who give money in response to such appeals and only such appeals are not the kind of people who make effective long-term associates or backers. The organization which attracts and keeps such donors is hard-pressed ever to admit success. If it does, it risks lower income. Small religious and conservative organizations are for years confined to a state of total dependence on voluntary contributions. They struggle just to stay alive. They come and go. They frequently do not survive the death of the founders. But they leave behind a legacy of dissent, and this legacy eventually makes itself felt when the bankruptcy of the existing establishment becomes obvious when the state can no longer supply the vote-getting special privileges and funds. The despair which sets in after years of frustrating losses is natural. It must be resisted. 
frustration is basic to reconstruction. The seeming imperviousness of the existing social and political order is overwhelming at times. But Gandhi's experience in India should remind us that a lifetime of seeming futility was finally rewarded with success, at least in the sense that Gandhi achieved his stated political goal, namely independence from Britain. He ran very lean. Actually, he walked very lean. His march to the sea, his too fast along almost unto death, and his other public relations coup made him a formidable opponent to the entrenched ruling class of India. Volunteerism The strength of the non-statist groups, above all, is the commitment of their supporters to the cause. These people are willing to take their hard-earned money and send it to a ministry they approve of. This is not characteristic of their opposition. They have real reserves, reserves of dedication, commitment, and the habit of regular financial sacrifice. The supporters are willing to take a stand. More than this, they are willing to finance a stand. These groups stay small. They get their message out by hook or crook, but seldom with support from the established intellectual and religious opinion makers. But the real opinion makers are not those who are most visible at the end of a civilization. They are the people who are hidden in the historical shadows, working patiently until the day comes when a cultural crisis creates demand for new opinions. Look at any urban public government school. It is bigger than any Christian school you have ever seen. A typical public high school has more students than any Christian high school in the country. But these schools, for all their bricks and mortar and football teams, are dying. Those inside are getting substandard educations. Yet it is tax-supported education, above all, which is the center of hopes, dreams, and schemes of the priest of humanism. The public school is humanism's established church, and its influence is fading fast. State boards of education are literally panicking at the threat offered to them by home schools and small Christian schools. They have good reason to panic. In a century, tax-supported education may well be a relic of the past, swept away by the forces of volunteerism. What will the broken bricks and loosened mortar be worth then? Defenders of the principle of volunteerism are going through a kind of wilderness experience today. This is the cost of abandoning the flesh pots of Egypt. No more leeks, onions, garlic, and federal handouts. Perhaps no more tax exemption as the welfare escalates. Perhaps even a bit of persecution. But the early church received no tax exemptions. Luther did not train future Lutheran ministers by means of vouchers for seminary education issued by the Vatican either. The lack of such support slows down the development of a movement in its early stages. When it is learning to cope with the realities of life, but sparse beginnings enable it to deal with growth and success later on, when its principles become more widely accepted. Grassroots Organizations Organizations The word is plural, not singular. 
the idea of establishing a single grassroots organization is preposterous. It would be mowed down by the wide-blade power mowers of the opposition as soon as its sprouts were detected. Multiple organizations, on the other hand, can affect changes in many places, especially out-of-the-way places where the opposition does not have its wide-blade mowers available. Men try out different types of grass in different environments. In one place it may be Bermuda grass for Bahama or Bahamas grass or even Switzerland grass. In, other, in others it may be plain old crabgrass. What it must not be is unwatered, unfertilized grass that will wither when the midday sun hits it. That is the grass which humanists have planted. And as the state's restraints on freedom squeeze productivity out of the legal, visible markets, the end of cheap federal fertilizers and cheap water will lead to a change in ownership of the field. What we must have is exactly what we need, alternative grass seeds, hidden from view in minor and seemingly insignificant fields. We are steadily raising up new non-hybrid seeds that will survive the competition of new blights and new environments. The hybrid seed used by the state produces a lush lawn, but only under limited environmental conditions and only by continually returning to the monopolistic hybrid seed sellers. It is not a resilient variety of grass. Grassroots organizations are all around us. Not one, but many. They may cooperate with others for limited ends, but they have their own timetables, resources, and goals. They are competitive. Not all will survive. Some will. Those, who, those that do survive will replace the existing structures of society all over the world. Humanism is a worldwide phenomenon. It will collapse as a worldwide phenomenon to be replaced by numerous alternatives. Conclusion The apparent ineffectiveness of small, underfunded, ideological, or religious organizations is deceptive. All long-term social change comes from the successful efforts of one or another struggling organization to capture the minds of a hard core of future leaders as well as the respect of a wider population. There is no other way to change a society. The hope of stepping into power overnight without planning is naive, let alone the hope of getting financial support from the existing leadership. The Hebrews of Joshua's generation wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until their parents all died. They had they had to prepare themselves mentally and organizationally for the battle to come. They certainly did not bother to court the favor of the king of Jericho, nor did they worry too much that the Levites had not graduated from fully accredited Baal Theological Seminary. If we only recognized our wilderness condition for what it is, we might not continue to make the mistakes and strategy that the Hebrews of Joshua's day didn't make. Final Conclusion The steady, thoughtful, informed presentation of a biblical vision of victory will eventually produce converts. 
This book is both educational and motivational. If you have agreed with its overall perspective, then you owe it to yourself, your fellow Christians, the world around you, and most of all to God, to begin to rethink your whole theology. You have an obligation to determine for yourself whether or not you are responsible to begin a personal program of Christian reconstruction, beginning with your own daily affairs and continuing for the rest of your life. And if you have this responsibility, then other Christians have it too. Will you help them to come to grips with this responsibility by telling them what you have learned? Will you help to encourage your fellow church members to step forth and take a stand for the crown rights of King Jesus? Where should you begin? With the Bible. Sit down and begin a systematic study of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Get one or two modern translations to help you understand what the Bible requires. Ask yourself over and over and over, verse by verse, what does this mean? And how does it apply to today's society? Try to make sense out of God's Word. This may require the purchase of Bible commentaries and other study guides, but it must be done. Little people have to do it. Then begin to share your thoughts tentatively. See if others are interested in finding out what God's Word requires for every area of life. Maybe you should set up a study group. Maybe your church would be willing to cooperate. Then again, maybe not. If you can get more than one person involved, you begin to make use of the intellectual division of labor. Start subscribing to newsletters that explain some of these biblical passages in the light of today's world. I'm not referring to prophecy. I'm referring to biblical law. Read my introductory book, Unconditional Surrender, God's Program for Victory, uh, from Tyler, Texas, Geneva Divinity School Press, 1983, 995. Read R.J. Rush Institutes of Biblical Law. Subscribe to all the following newsletters or newspaper services. Institute for Christian Economics, P.O. Box 8000, Tyler, Texas. Geneva Divinity School, 708 Hamvasi Lane, Tyler, Texas, 75701. Calcedon Report, P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 959-95251. The Forerunner, P.O. Box 1799, Gainesville, Florida. You will at first encounter a wall of resistance. Count on it. But the steady, thoughtful, informed presentation of a biblical vision of victory will eventually produce converts. Others will begin to see some of the implications of what you're talking about. You will experience success, but not if you sit on your hands and do nothing. If nothing else, buy spare copies of this book and begin to lend them out. Lend them out with a specific time limit, preferably a week or two. Ask the other person to report back and tell you what he thinks about it. Get together to discuss it. He may have insights that you missed. But the important thing is to see if the message in this book strikes a responsive chord in the heart of another person. 
If it does, you have become the first two members of a Christian Reconstruction Bible study group. Bible lectures are informative, but a true discussion group should probably not be larger than three people. Three people can really discuss in detail. Also, the presence of a third person tends to reduce the likelihood of intense discussions, also known as shouting matches, between two members. Your goal is to begin a group. Each member should do his best to recruit two people for a new group. Thus, each member ideally spends one hour per week with the group which first recruited him and one hour with the group he recruited. A Christian Reconstruction Bible study is not to become any sort of initiatory secret society, but a tightly knit, highly personal three-person group is just a good way to spread the message. These meetings will not eat up a person's time because members agree in advance never to continue the meetings beyond one hour. This allows each member, along with spouses and other affected persons, to plan his day in terms of a predictable schedule for Bible discussions. If people indulge themselves and spend additional hours in unplanned discussions, someone will grow resentful. Members of the group, spouses, children of participants, or others who are in some way dependent on the participants. Warning, Christian Reconstruction Bible studies already have enough people upset at the basic idea of broad Christian responsibility. There is no use in creating additional resentment. Each discussion group member, about after about six months, should begin recruiting his own group. Take what you have learned over half a year of study and begin to teach others. Get the division of labor going. Don't rush into a leadership position until you are fairly confident that you will not embarrass yourself or the Word of God. But don't hesitate forever searching for perfection. Start small. Despise not the day of small beginnings. It may be that you are not ready to begin a discussion group. Maybe you just don't have the time to read more newsletters. Maybe Bible reading is a chore for you. Perhaps you are just too busy making a living or whatever to devote time to a consideration of your responsibilities before God. If so, please do yourself a favor. Don't throw this book away. Put it on the shelf and keep it in the back of your mind. When the crisis comes, get it off the shelf and reread it. What crisis, you may ask? The one which always comes to those who know what they are required by God to do, but refuse to do it. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James 4.17 You have been warned about your comprehensive responsibilities. There is no going back. For all eternity there is no going back. Whether you are required to start a study group or is not the question. What is relevant is the question of your efforts to redeem the time, literally to buy it back. What is relevant is for you to begin your efforts at bringing your portion of the world under the visible sovereignty of biblical law. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. 
We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.